Welcome to the Monsters of Fantasy. This was written, produced, recorded, and edited by me, Sean McCarter. Monsters of Fantasy is a production in which I will explore the truly horrific side of the fantasy world known as Dungeons and Dragons. There are content warnings in the show notes below. Episode 15 The Gelatinous Cube Hello. So, last week was interesting. When I showed Nico that statement, he, um, got upset? Actually, I don't know what to call it, if he was upset or what, but he's gone into his private dimension, and he's been gone since. Arithras has set out to the eastern border. She seems rather serious this time about going after Argenswolves. I wish her the best of luck in her adventure. Cadewin suggested I go with her for old time's sake, but I have no interest at all in fighting an ancient red dragon. I'm perfectly content sitting here and doing these stories. I've grown to really like this space, anticipating this moment every week where I get to talk to you, whoever may be listening to these records in the future. Mostly it's me and the others, but who knows? Maybe Nico will publish this work to the mages in Voron or something like that once it's done. If it's ever done. There are literally hundreds of different monsters, with hundreds of variants, and it seems that Nico somehow has a story on all of them. Anyway, without further delay, a story taken from Falalian. Come in! Hey, you recording? Yeah, I was just about to start. What's up? Uh, just wanted to see if that dragonborn was here again. Uh, what was her name again? Cadwin. That's the fourth time you've brought her up this week. I told you she left to go kill that dragon. Well, no, it's just I was expecting... Wait, really? Yep. That wasn't a joke? By herself? Well, I don't know about that. She left here by herself, but I don't watch her through a scry glass or anything. If you want that, go ask Luna. Look, shut up. I was just worried is all. Sorry I asked. Have fun recording... The Gelatinous Cube. Which one are you doing anyway? The one with the elf, Lyanda. Isn't that one rather short? Why not pick the story with the Yuan-Ti temple? The one from, a uh... Atas? Well, because I took a fancy to this one. And honestly, I just... Wait, why am I explaining myself to you? Aren't I in charge of cataloging and you researching? Yeah, yeah. Have fun, then. Uh, drinks after this, right? Daisy's buying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. Where was I? Oh yeah. A story taken from Falel Leander about his encounter with an Athcoid. A story about the gelatinous cube. Is that what you really asked me for? What? Did Bartimaeus put you up to this? Some sort of twisted joke? Well fine. I'll go first. My name is Falel Leander and I am a prodigious elf who hails from the ancient city of Omele. I spent my younger years there studying the arcane, and while I don't want to go into too much detail, I had to leave my education early. There was a bit of a mishap with me and two other students, Volcane and Elamir, I believe were their names. It's just, if you've ever heard about the incident at Lusawain School for the Gifted, that ended up with twenty dead students and another seven missing, 
Well, I'm among the missing, and I plan to keep it that way. That's why I left the elven country, and came to Athos. It wasn't because I was looking for adventure. It was because I was trying to run away, that's the only reason. And while I was running and fleeing, I happened to run into a furbog out in the tundra. Yeah, that'd be Sakra over there. She's the reason all of this started, this adventuring stuff. When I met her, I told her about the elven city that I was raised in. She said her family had never left the northern countryside. She wanted to go explore and see a beautiful elven forest like I was describing to her. I promptly informed her that that wasn't possible, because I didn't plan on going back to that city, and so instead, we went to Voron. Even across the sea, I had heard of how massive of a city it was. So when I told her about buildings and skyscrapers and towers and castles, she decided to go and see the concrete forest herself. That's where we ran into Bartimaeus over there. He was actually hunting Sakura, who was trying to sneak through the city by transforming herself into an arctic variant of a fox. A rather smart decision, honestly. However, Bartimaeus saw it as a rarity and needed to quote-unquote capture it. You should have seen his face when he shot that arrow into her butt and turned back into her normal self and started screaming at him. I think she embarrassed him into joining the group. Next was Warren Joy. We found him while out investigating some cultists. Specifically, I believe, they were cultists to Gratz. We had gotten the lead that the cultists had been stirring up trouble in the nearby town and would be hiding out in a cave somewhere. When we showed up, though, all of them were already dead, and we thought the ritual was completed, only to find at the end of the tunnel a crazed towering man wielding two warhammers, bashing away any inch of the cavern that had abyssal written on it. It was pretty simple, actually. He questioned us why we were there. When we told him we were there to kill the cultists, I think he kind of just joined our group. And I guess last, and most recently, Alfie, whom you have met. But this incident happened before we acquired him, obviously. It wasn't too long ago, about three years, I'd guess. We were in Voron, actually investigating an underground hideout of orcs, the Blood Keepers, a small-time gang who happened to have a pretty extensive network of tunnels below the city. We didn't know much about the underground network of Voron, but... We did know that such hideouts and tunnels had dungeons, and they weren't uncommon. We had heard rumors that the leader of the Blood Keepers was trying to control the Hellhound's ward, a small borough just outside the first wall. Actually, if you're coming from Bawai, and you come through the eastern gate, you'll be in the Hellhound's ward after a few blocks. It's easy to spot due to its influx of broken-down buildings and run-down temples. We had heard from a few colleagues of ours that it wasn't always this way, and that the decrepitness of the borough was due to the orc known as Thrall Hafgar, and his gang of influences there. Every street corner, if you paid enough attention, had some shady figure trying to peddle drugs, pickpocket, or on a rare occurrence, just straight-out violence. Admittedly, we weren't going to do anything about it. I think the group was going to go let them on their way. But one of our contacts, L, told us that someone from the Blood Keepers had stolen some cursed objects from her, and while they didn't steal anything too expensive, just a chalice that turned the drinker's tongue black, and a ring that gave the wearer complete immunity to fire, just only while standing in total sunlight. L was a close friend of ours, one we met through Warren, and, well, our group tries not to piss off Warren Joy. I'll save you the details of our sneaky and carefully planned descent into their hideout, because honestly it wasn't all that sneaky. Warren has a way with words, and after a successful talk with the barkeep of the Flaggard Tusk, the known hideout of some of the Blood Keepers, the tavern decided to permanently close due to a drastic decrease in staffing. 
and the nice barkeep after his resignation was so kind to stick around and answer any questions we had about the hideout. Poor me, though. It was my bag of holding we were using to carry his head in. I think that's why I ended up, um, captured by the grotesque monster. When we asked the severed head if there were any traps and we should be wary of, he actually told us of all of them. But what we ran into wasn't actually a trap, just a living obstacle. I was leading the group, as it was I who wrote down the head's instructions on how to traverse the dungeon. It was as we were walking down a tunnel preparing to take another turn that I just happened to walk into it. I know that sounds crazy, and the others still make fun of me for it, but I promise you, I did not see a giant fucking cube taking up the entirety of a hallway. Hell, I can see in the dark for God's sake. But even when we had lit torches and were being very wary of our descent, I did not see it. No, I stand by and truly believe that this monstrosity apparated out of thin air. One second I was walking down a dimly lit hallway, and the next I was met by a thick and slimy wall. Like I said, at first I didn't even see anything, but as I came crashing into the invisible wall I started seeing reality warping around me. But then I realized it wasn't reality warping around me, it was just some clear and thick membrane that caused the light to bend. I tried to lift my hands to pull whatever it was from my face, but I realized my hands were also stuck. No, they weren't stuck. They were being pulled in. My fears became reality. I was dealing with an ooze, and it was engulfing me. I tried shouting out their names, but as soon as my mouth opened, it started to fill with a cold, thick slime. So instead, I stayed silent, as if I was embracing the situation I was in. Honestly, at first it was kind of relaxing, when the ooze wrapped itself around me. It felt like a dip in a chilly lake in an early spring afternoon, but it didn't take long for that cold embrace to start burning ever so slightly. That's what I hated about all of it. The slow dissolving of everything while I was paralyzed inside of it, helpless. Luckily, this ooze hadn't eaten in quite some time. So besides the distortions caused by its shaking, I got to see everything with a front row seat. At first I just watched as my beautiful fair skin painfully peeled away from my body and just dissolved into nothingness. I saw Warren try shoving his hand in to get me, but as soon as his gauntlets plunged into the creature, I saw what looked like bubbles and steam quickly escaping his armor. He retracted his hand and then had to gall to down a healing potion. I tried moving my hands to claw my own way out, but it felt like I was being compressed on all sides by the sun itself. I started thrashing around in the ooze because of the pain. Bartimaeus was trying to shoot in a grappling hook for them to try and pull me out, but the shot went exceptionally wide and over my head. I went to look up at the rope, maybe to see if I could grab it with my teeth. That's when I noticed a piece of my scalp floating above me with my long, beautiful blonde hair attached to it. That's when I let out the scream. I don't think the others even got to hear it. I saw their faces, though, before everything went black. They all looked horrified. Sakura was trying to climb into the ooze herself to grab me, I think. But I just screamed, and I let the burning ooze fill my lungs. Not on purpose, obviously. I just couldn't help it. I could not watch silently as my beautiful body was slowly being destroyed. 
as consciousness left me, I felt the very organs that made me, me, burn away. Then my eyes opened. I was lying on my back staring up at Sakura. I inhaled sharply as if my lungs had just started working. The world was spinning around me. I tried writing myself and remember noticing oils and flower petals surrounding me. I stood up the rest of the way and it felt off. I had trouble with my depth perception. Everything seemed so much further away and then I looked over to Bartimaeus who was now the same height as me. I immediately started screaming again. I started looking at my now bulbous and hairy feet. I was clumsily tripping over myself as he was laughing at me. I'll save myself some embarrassment here, but I started screaming, and yes, tears were shed. It took them a couple of minutes to calm me down, and after the hysterics, they decided to show me what happened. Not even thirty feet back up the hall was the scattered remains of the ooze. They said that after they were positive I was dead, they stopped caring whether or not I was still alive, and decided to blow the bitch up, as Bartimaeus would say. And that they did. Non-moving chunks of the ooze could be found in any corner of this hall. Hell, the ceiling was dripping with it. And there, in the center of it, was me. Or rather, the crumpled and burned skeleton that was me. Barely any flesh remained on it. I started screaming at Warren at why they hadn't pulled me out, and then why they didn't just revive me like they did last time. I was scampering around on those tiny little legs and kicking out the paladin's shins in disgust. That's when he informed me that he didn't bring the diamonds needed to cast such a spell, because he figured we were just shopping that day. That's when Sakura explained to me what she did. Her power, unlike you or I, Nicholas, comes from the nature itself. And the way she described it was that she just kind of spent an hour making a humanoid mold out of mud, then covered it with oils and petals all the while chanting an ancient druidic, in an effort to, one, cause the earth itself to become flesh, and two, grab my soul and attach it to a body before it entered the afterlife. I, of course, shouted and asked why she couldn't bring me back in my body. I didn't want to be some stupid halfling. I only got a vague but sad response that sums up the phrase, it is what it is. However, I was still not happy. I told them I would rather have been dead than be a halfling, at which point Bartimaeus threatened that he could have that arranged if I wanted, I stood my ground, though, at least in spirit. I wasn't going to throw a hissy fit about it in the dungeon, but you bet our very next adventure was one for me. We spent the months tracking down a genie and convincing him to restore my previous body. And, as you can see, I'm a perfectly gorgeous elf. Now go ask one of the others about a story. Hell, Warren has been to Barovia. End of story. Um... Cadewan was right, this one was a rather short one. I didn't pick the story because of its length or contents. I only picked it because of the people involved here. As always, I take care of the entry first, but just listen for the supplemental at the end. I have a few things I need to go over about the many names mentioned here today. The Athcoid, or as it's commonly named by adventurers, the Gelatinous Cube. Physiology. The Gelatinous Cube is an ooze. But unlike most other oozes, this particular variant, well, in a dormant state, retains the shape of a cube. Like all oozes, its shape and mass can be manipulated and moved, but the specific variant almost always tries to stay in a cubic shape. Like all oozes, they lack any actual body parts. 
They are what they are, and only that. A massive blob of dissolving goo. This particular variant is made up of a uniquely clear liquid, one that, when completely still, almost seems transparent. Which is how the ooze caught Mr. Lyander here and started eating him. Each time the ooze feeds, which it does so by engulfing them, something I'll cover in the abilities section, the ooze will add the organic mass to its own, growing in size. Once the ooze reaches a critical point, the ooze will split into two identical-sized cubes, and is the only known way an ooze reproduces. I want to clarify that the only organ here is the goo. Despite it not having eyes, it can still sense the area around it, though this is something we don't quite understand. At first we thought it was magical, but through all our studies there doesn't seem to be anything arcane about these monsters. Actually, we think they're just a natural occurring phenomena, and they have no magical resistances. Actually, it's assumed they have the basic intelligence that of a jellyfish, meaning quite a few arcane spells will work exceptionally well on them. So let's cover what won't work on them. Normally I call this section weaknesses and resistances, but for this particular entry I'm going to go with immunities. The gelatinous cube is not weak nor resistant to anything. However, because of its physiology, it cannot be blinded, charmed, deafened, exhausted, or frightened. And of course, normal tactics like grappling and knocking it prone won't work because it's an ooze. Abilities. Aside from seeming invisible, something the cube doesn't really do consciously, the gelatinous cube only has two forms of attack. First is producing a pseudopod, a temporary arm-like protrusion that it will use to hit a creature. If the ooze makes contact, however, you will find that portion of your skin quickly dissolving away due to its acidic composition. Its next attack is kind of funny to describe. Cadwin has it down here as engulf, and it is a fitting name for it. The ooze will suddenly lunge at a target and engulf them using its massive size. If its prey cannot escape, either by brute force or through external means, then the acidic nature of the ooze will dissolve away all organic material inside of it. That's actually why they're so popular amongst criminal masterminds and wizards. They are the self-sustaining janitors of a dungeon. And while I never go down there, I know Nico has one in the cellars below the castle. He says it keeps the rats away. Okay, aside from a full list of names for the adventurers featured in the Owlbear story, something I'm happy to put down in my own notes, we have something here that's really important to me. First is the name of the cultists Warren Joy killed. They were cultists to the same demon lord whose son we helped capture and kill. I don't want to get too much into detail, but this is the demon lord of debauchery and desires, and his son was just as twisted as the demon lord himself. I wanted more answers on the gods and demons in general. That's why I picked up the story, hoping at first I could find something here. And, well, I did. The Blood Keepers were a massive criminal organization when I was last in Voron, and I should know, I grew up in Hellhounds. While this group, however many years ago, thought they would take down the criminal organization, someone must have gotten away and built it back up. And I think that someone was Vincent the changeling who we heard about in the statement regarding the giant bat. I don't know what this all means, but I know that between the events of this story and the blood keepers I know of, that a changeling along with two half-orcs and a drow had taken over the organization, and I fear they may still be running the underground. 
I'm a little bit invested in this as I grew up around the area and even went as far as to try to clean the mess up myself. In the end, the best we could do was kill the changeling. But due to the nature of the changelings, I'm not even sure if it was THE changeling, if you know what I mean. Admittedly, I no longer live in Voron, and I shouldn't really care about this, but if I can find any useful information, then I'll make sure it gets in front of the right eyes. Like I said before, I have met the king, and I'm on a first-name basis with a few of his guards. While I'm no longer an adventurer, per se, I still want to do the right thing. I'll see if I can find more about the bloodkeepers in a more recent statement. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and family, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at MonstersOf underscore for all news and teasers for upcoming episodes. Today's story was inspired by the complete absurdity that the spell reincarnate can cause. Join me next week as we encounter the Aranese. Thank you for listening. Until next time.